Well, um, we're in a new series here in the year called uh, New Year, Same Promises. I don't know if this is true for you, but a lot of people spend the first part of every new year making resolutions, making promises to themselves of how they're going to do things differently or how they're going to do things better in this year than they did in the previous year. Some of you may want to lose weight. Some of you may have decided that you want to eat better. Some of you may have decided that uh, you're going to be more faithful in coming to church. Some of you may have decided that in your faithfulness in coming to church, you're going to try not to sleep so much during my sermons. I don't know what your resolution is, but there's a good chance that even if you didn't make one, you sort of thought about it. You sort of said, you know what, New Year, I'm going to try to do a better job at this. And yet, if your resolutions are anything like mine, a lot of them are made with all sorts of earnestness and commitment. And then by the end of the first week of January, or in some cases the first day of January, we have failed to keep our resolutions. We have failed to keep our promises that we made to ourselves. And so I'm not one that likes to guilt people into feeling certain ways, so rather than focus on all those resolutions that we considered and perhaps even made and perhaps have already even broken, why not instead of talking about resolutions and promises that we make that we don't keep, talk about the promises of God. The promises that God is faithful to keep. And so that's really what this sermon series is about. We're going to look at some of those promises over the next several weeks, and we're going to remember them, and we're going to celebrate them, and we're going to appreciate them. And so our passage of Scripture today is this passage from Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, and the title of the sermon today is God's Promise of Your True Identity. God's promise of your true identity. Now, I think I've shared this before. I went to seminary in Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and one of the great blessings of that experience for me is that I made some lifelong friends. And several of us lifelong buddies that are now pastoring churches all over the place make a commitment every year to return to Atlanta We stay in the same hotel that we've been staying in all these years. We frequent the same haunts that we frequented, assuming that, of course, after 30 years, those haunts are still open for business. And we have this wonderful time together. But apparently, we're not the only ones who think it's a good idea to get together on a yearly basis and enjoy spending time together. Because every year when we go to this hotel, there's always a family reunion going on. And I know it's a family reunion because they all have t-shirts that say it's a family reunion. It says so-and-so's family reunion, and then it always has the current year. These folks have been getting together every year, just like me and my buddies get together every year, to remember a part of their identity 
to celebrate and to appreciate that identity. And, and they have their identity proudly displayed on their shirts. Now, when Hillary and I found out that we were having a daughter, we decided that we needed to get to work of process of choosing a name for our daughter. And, and Hillary honored me, and she honored my mother, and hopefully she even honored our daughter by agreeing that one of the names that we would give to my daughter was Opal after my mother, who died just a few years ago. And, and so every day, when at some point during the day, I sing her this song, my daughter, that I made up myself, and it has her entire name in it. I want her to know uh, that the only time she hears her full name is not when she's in trouble. <laughs> I want her to hear her full name and to have some sense of appreciation and celebration for how that name helps to shape her identity. I want her to know about the woman that she will never get to meet on this side of eternity. And I am so grateful to be able to share that part of her identity with her. Now speaking of names, you live as long as we have. Uh, you've probably been called some names that you didn't like. You've probably been given some names that you did not want. You probably have been called things that you wouldn't dare put on a t-shirt and proudly display in a hotel year after year after year. For me, when I was a kid, it was four eyes. Uh, it was carrot top back when my hair really was like copper color, you know? Now I'm just grateful to have hair with this big spot that's showing up on the back. I don't know what your name was. Maybe it was Chunky. Maybe it was Beanpole. Maybe it was Loser. Maybe it was Goofy. I suspect that if you've lived uh, a life of any kind, that there's been a day and a time when you were called a name that you did not want, that you did not like. And if that's true uh, for you this morning, then I'm truly, truly sorry. And if you're anything like me, uh, when you've been called some of those names that hurt so much, even if it's been years since you've been called those names, they still find a way to live inside our heads, don't they? And every once in a while, they'll just bubble to the surface and we'll be reminded of some of those hateful and harmful and hurtful names that we were called. And it's amazing how much pain those names can still cause for us even today. I think that part of the reason why this Scripture exists in our Gospels is because you may have a name that you don't like. You may have a name that is hateful or hurtful that people have called you throughout your life. But one of the purposes of this Scripture, I believe, is to remind you that that's not your true identity. That the purpose of this Scripture is to remind you that you really do have a name and an identity that, that doesn't hurt, but it actually heals. That it actually provides hope. 
let me explain uh, in our passage of Scripture today. Um, Jesus is making His way probably about 60 miles from His home base of Galilee to the lower Jordan River. And we're told that Jesus goes to the lower Jordan River because He wants to be baptized by John. Now, if you're like me, that sort of piques your curiosity a bit. Even Sean mentioned it in the children's message this morning. Why in the world would Jesus want to be baptized? And why in the world would He want to be baptized by John? Well, maybe He wants to be baptized by John because John's got some experience of baptizing people. I mean, John has been spending day after day uh, baptizing folks in the Jordan River. But the interesting thing is that John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. It is a baptism where you're supposed to confess your sin and then be baptized. So why in the world would the sinless Son of God want to go be baptized? Can you imagine? John's just sitting out there, his arm's about to fall off, he's been baptizing people all day long, and then all of a sudden he looks up, and here come wading out into the water is Jesus. Now, we don't know how well Jesus and John knew each other. The Bible doesn't really say that. But we do know that they have a family history together. Maybe they gathered together every summer and printed t-shirts with their names on the front. But you see, John's mother Elizabeth, when she found out that she was going to be pregnant with John, it was a little bit of a miracle. I mean, she was well past the age of childbearing Age. And so she finds out that she's going to have this child. Uh, an angel visited her husband and told them. And, and so they're to name this child John. And this guy John is supposed to prepare the way for the Messiah, for the Savior, for the Anointed One. Well, this John's mother Elizabeth, when right after she found out she was pregnant, was visited by her cousin Mary, who was also pregnant. And, and Mary's pregnancy was every bit as miraculous, if not more so, than Elizabeth's pregnancy. Because Mary had been visited by an angel, and Mary was told that she was going to conceive a son by the power of the Holy Spirit, no less, and that this son was to be named Jesus, and that this son would be the Savior, would be the Messiah, would be the Anointed One of God. Don't you know that John had heard those stories over and over and over again, even if he hadn't spent a whole lot of time hanging out with Jesus? John understood the relationship. He knew that he was paled in comparison to this guy, Jesus. He knew that he wasn't even worthy to tie his sandals. So why in the world would he be worthy of baptizing Jesus? So John expresses concern about the situation. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And yet Jesus insisted that John baptize Him. And it makes me wonder why. 
Why in the world would Jesus want to be baptized by John? Maybe it's because while baptism is about repentance, while it is about confessing one's sin, while it is about having that sin washed away, that's not the only thing that baptism is about. Maybe Jesus wanted to be baptized by John is because he wanted uh, folks to, uh, he wanted to endorse John and his ministry to say that everything that John's been doing, everything that you've seen John doing and saying heretofore, every bit of it I support. Maybe he was willing to be baptized by John because not only did he want to endorse John, but he wanted to link his ministry with John's ministry. He, he wanted them to know that this is not some interruption. This is a continuation of what God is trying to do in the lives of people. Maybe he wanted to be baptized by John because he wanted everybody that was there on that day and everybody that's ever been ever since that day to know who Jesus really was. His true identity. He was God's beloved Son. Maybe that's why Jesus was willing to be baptized by John. Now, it's tempting on baptism of the Lord Sunday, uh, two days after Epiphany where we celebrate the Magi, the kings coming to pay homage to Jesus, Jesus being revealed to the non-Jewish world. Here on Baptism of the Lord Sunday, it's really tempting as a preacher to just theologize for a while. To just tell you what baptism is and what it isn't. What it means and what it doesn't mean. And I had every intention of doing that when I sat down to write this message today, and yet I kept feeling this prompting in my spirit, a prompting that I believe came from the Holy Spirit, and that prompting was said, don't you dare start theologizing, preacher. What you need to tell these folks is that you are God's Beloved too. You are a precious child of God. You are God's beloved too. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter if you're a convicted felon or a pious saint. It doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what color you are. You are God's beloved child. And there is nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. You can vote for that other party and God still loves you. There's nothing you can do to change the fact that you are God's beloved child. And I believe that God wanted you to hear that this morning. There's one other part of this text that I want to address this morning. After the voice from heaven rings down and says, this is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. 
that phrase, with whom I am well pleased, is what I want to spend just a second on this morning. I don't believe, and you may disagree, and that's fine. I haven't been right every time. I was wrong once, three years ago. I don't believe that God was well pleased with Jesus because He was the sinless Son of God. I think that was impressive, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that God would highlight being pleased with something about Jesus that's not possible for the rest of us. And so I don't think that's the reason why He's pleased with Jesus, just because He's never sinned before. That's impressive, don't get me wrong. I'm glad to know that my Savior, your Savior, our Savior was without sin. But I believe that the reason why God was so pleased with Jesus is because Jesus was so intent on pleasing God. And that, my friends, is another important part of our baptism. Baptism is not just a repentance time. It is not just a time of confessing your sins and having all of your sins washed away. It is not just a time of linking ourselves to Jesus and to John. It is not just a time where we are reminded of our true identity, even though that is all so wonderful and important. But baptism is also a time where we commit from that point on to pleasing God. We spend the rest of our lives trying to please God by doing the things that God would have us to do. So that's what we celebrate today here on the baptism of our Lord. Those of us who have been baptized, we have confessed our sin. Those sins have been washed away. We have received our true identity as children of God. We have claimed it. We remember it. We appreciate it. And we celebrate it. And we seek for the rest of our lives to try to please God as a result of being claimed by God. And today you have that opportunity. When you come down to the font... You'll be invited to dip your hand into the water and remember your baptism. It's okay if you don't really remember your baptism. You don't remember the day you were born either, but every year you celebrate it. You just put your hands in that water and you remember, I am God's beloved child. My sins have been washed away. Um, I'm not perfect but I am going to spend this day and every day seeking to please the Lord in all that I say and do. It's also an appropriate time on Baptism of the Lord Day for those of you who have never been baptized to be baptized. Uh, This morning we're going to have at least one such baptism Uh, Dustin Vaughn is going to be baptized here. He's ready to profess his faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. He's ready to have his sins washed away. He's ready to be named and claimed as a beloved child of God. And he's ready to the best of his ability to seek to please God from this point and evermore. Will he be successful all the time? No. But that's where the grace of God comes in. 
It's the desire to please God that I think God is most honored by and what is most symbolized in this baptism today. But there may be others of you here this morning. You've never been baptized before. You didn't come to church today thinking you was going to be baptized today. But somehow or another, just like the heavens opened up and the Spirit of God descended down on Jesus and John when they were in the Jordan River that day, maybe you're having some sort of similar experience in the interior of your life right now. And so if you've never been baptized before today and you want to be baptized this morning, there's no better time than the present. So while I pray a long prayer, <laughs> I want you to ask, come down to see Brother Jim here. And he'll take your name and then we'll add you to the role of people today being baptized. And if nobody else comes forward, that's okay. My job's not to convince you of that. God's, that's God's job. <laughs> We're going to still celebrate Dustin's baptism today and we are going to rejoice that God has led another human being into an ever-increasing awareness of God's great love. And there's that, my friends, is worth coming to church for this morning.